I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. On faith, and of course, faith is what I preach in the month of June um, and July uh, annually from various topics and uh, research. And um, this year's series has to do with handling stress in the moment. I opened this series with an understanding of stress and moments, and moments both in time and in physics. Then we moved towards understanding different scenarios in Scripture where faith in the moment was required. We started, first of all, with faith in a furnace. Sunday last, when we were together, we talked about a sudden storm. Today I want to talk to you about a storm, but this has something to do with going into longer seasons, longer periods. And the disciples or the apostles were with Jesus. The Bible said suddenly a storm came up. With the Hebrews in uh, finding faith in a furnace, the Bible says that that was pretty momentary. Nebuchadnezzar had set up uh, an idol god, and he required worship to that idol god. And he sent for them, and when they refused to do it, he had the furnace heated, and he threw them in, all of that in the same day. But today's message is finding faith in a life wreck. To do that, I need to look at um, Acts chapter 27, because the very the variation here from the storm on last Sunday to the storm on this Sunday has to do with the fact of them having to push through an extended season of wandering about in the sea. I've noticed over the last um, few years, probably the last two to three years it seems, that there have been these uh, mistakes, or these uh, problems and the crisis that have happened with carnival cruises and other cruise ships. Some of those have to do with ships wandering about in the sea, not able to come to land, wandering about due to some storm or some problem that had happened. And then, of course, going day after day without lights, night after night without lights, air conditioning, heat, and in some cases even running low on food. We have such a story in the book of Acts, in the journeys of Paul. And that's where I want to base my remarks on the life wreck and understanding something about what happens in life when there is a wreck or crash and how we have to determine the next move, what we need to do in the midst of such a situation. It is in the ministry of the Apostle Paul in Acts 27 that there was a very unusual storm to come up called a Eurachlodon. The Eurachlodon forced them not only to go off course, but it caused them to wander about for more than two weeks on the sea without any food, or without any comfort until they could come to shore. Now, at Acts 27, it takes the entire chapter of some 44 verses, and I don't want to read all 44, but I will begin at verse number 9 
of Acts 27. Now, when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said to them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and with damage, uh, not only of the landing of the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part uh, advised to depart thence also, and if by means they might attain to Phinesi and there to winter, which is in the haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And, and here is the, here is the, uh, the turn, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed to Crete. Now I'll stop there for the moment. Understanding something about what's going on here, the background of it, Paul is a prisoner. He's a prisoner because of his ministry. He's a prisoner because of the good things that he had done uh, in his missionary journeys. When you look at this, you understand that Paul was a man in chains, but a man who did not let the chains enslave him. He was in bondage, but the bondage was not in him. He was captured, but his spirit was not captured. He had been warned prophetically earlier in the book of Acts that he would someday be enslaved or enchained, that he would be carried as a prisoner, that he would be punished or abused for his preaching. But he did not allow that to dictate to his life. And so they have him as a prisoner. They have him enslaved and enchained, but he teaches us a valuable lesson. You have to be yourself no matter where you are. Now, this is the lesson that we learned two weeks ago when we talked about Daniel, uh, Ananiah, Hazariah, and Mishael, and how even in the midst of the threats of the Babylonians, and even in the midst of them being uh, captured and eventually thrown Daniel into a den of lions, the three Hebrew fellows into a fiery furnace, they kept their spiritual integrity. We learned that from Paul today. Spiritual integrity is something that we must maintain at all times, in all positions, in all places. Spiritual integrity should not just be seen when the weather is fair in life, but also when the weather is stormy. And you'll notice what I've read to you. They planned to sail in order to take him to another prison. That's why they were carrying him away. This is not a luxury cruise. It's not a vacation. They are putting him in the dungeon of the ship. They are carrying him ultimately to Rome. There at Rome, he will be beheaded. I've been to St. Paul's Basilica in Rome. I've seen the spot where they said the beheading more than likely took place. I've seen the basilica built in his honor just above the catacombs of Rome where they were burying people underground because they ran out of cemetery space. Paul knows because he does not mind being a martyr. He knows this is his last voyage, but here's what else he knows. 
that the Lord told him by revelation, prophetic revelation, it's a dangerous voyage. Now, he warns them. That's what we just read. They are not believers. These are pagans. They're not believers. These people worship idol gods. He warns them. He warns them we should not sail. He tells them by revelation this would be a dangerous voyage. But they don't listen to what he has to say. And the Bible said for a couple of reasons they didn't listen. Number one, where they were docked, the word says, was not commodious to winter in. It was the winter's time of the year. They knew that this dock needed some remodeling, some refurbishing. So where they had pulled that boat to dock was not, according to the word, commodious. In other words, their circumstance was uncomfortable. And when people hear a word from God and they don't like the word that they heard, they will choose to disobey it based on the comforts around them happens all the time. You tell somebody what the Lord says, they look at their situation and they say, no, I think I'll stay here. Or you say, I know that you want to move, but the Lord is telling me, don't move. But they say, well, there's no money here. Well, there's no, I don't have any relationships here. Well, I don't have anything here to make my life any better. I need to move in order to improve my life. And so we get in storms in life because we disobey. We don't listen to the counsel of the word of God. The Bible says obey the prophet and you will be blessed. You'll find success. But people still determine no matter what revelation, no matter what word that comes to them. You can tell the person, no, don't move right now. Stay on that job. Stay in that place. And they will fight in order to, to move ahead and order only end up in a bad situation. And the next thing it says was the south wind was blowing sweetly. The south wind was blowing softly, which in sailing suggested it's a good day to sail. These aren't motorboats. They don't have engines. They've got sails. They need the wind in order to move the ship forward. And they were deceived by the gentle blowing of the south wind. In life, we get deceived because of the gentle blowing of the breeze. This is nice. I like this. Well, you know you're not blessing the Lord. I don't care. I like this. Well, you know that's contrary to God's word. I don't care. I like this. I like this situation. I like my living arrangement. I know it may not be right. I know we ain't married. But you know, I like the way it feels. I like the way the wind feels. I, I like the sweetness of the circumstance. I like the fact that I know that I've got something to look forward to. Therefore, whether God is pleased with it or not, I'm feeling the wind. I'm feeling the breeze. I'm feeling the niceness, the warmth of it. I'm feeling the beauty of it. And I think I'm just going to take advantage of the situation. Two things messed them up. The haven was not commodious to winter in, number one, and the south wind blew softly. Now, across chapter 27, which is indeed a long chapter, I want to read various verses across chapter 27. I want to talk to you, first of all, about the reason for the storm. Here's what the Bible tells us. When you get down into chapter 27 around verse number 20, the Bible tells us, and actually we can go to verse number 
verse number 14 and come down to 20. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called a Euroclidon or Euroclidon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strike sail and were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed, with a tempest the next day, they lighted the ship. And the third day, we were cast out with our own hands and tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Now what happens here is that they enter into a storm. And they are moving through this storm, understanding that the storm seems to have no ending. Here are experienced mariners. Here are sailors that understand how to handle storms and ships in a storm. But they said we had to just let the storm move the ship forward. Now, in last Sunday's message, that was a sudden storm. The Bible says in one translation that the wind hit the waves, and all of a sudden there was a storm that swooped down upon them unaware. In this storm, Paul warned them that there would be a storm, but they looked at the weather. They took the weather report with the wind blowing softly. The skies were blue, and they didn't listen to the revelation of God. How do we get in storms in our life? How does that actually happen that we didn't get a warning? Well, in most cases, we did get a warning. We did get a warning. Now, there are some storms that come through nature. Can you say nature? But there are other storms, personal storms, that come by way of our own foolishness. We did get a warning. We did know that it was wrong. People did advise us that we shouldn't do it. We did have a funny feeling in our stomach. We did have a lack of peace concerning it, but we pressed on into it anyway. Why? Because the wind was blowing sweetly. Why? Because where we were was not as comfortable as where we wanted to be. And so for the sake of putting our, our comfort at risk, for the sake of moving out deceived by the weather prognosticators, we just went on out in our own foolishness. They would not have hit this storm had they not been foolish. But it was their foolish decisions that caused these storms to happen. But then there's another reason why we encounter storms. God often allows us to go into storms for our personal development. Some storms we hit because of our foolishness. Other storms we hit for our development. And that's important. That my foolishness sometimes puts me in a bad place. I made a bad call. But there are other times when God will allow that storm to happen to me because that's the only way he can develop me. But then there's a third reason why we come into storms. And that's that we get dragged into it by other people. Paul told them, don't sail. They said, we're going to sail. Had it been Paul's call or his choice, they would not have sailed. But he found himself in a storm because of other people. Sometimes people will drag you into a storm and there's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes your family drags you into a storm and you've been doing right. You've been living according to the word. You've been following what you think is right, but your own family 
will drag you into court. Your own family will drag you into bad credit. Your own family will drag you into poverty. Your own family will drag you into danger and put you in bad situations. Paul was dragged into this storm. His life was wrecked because of other people. So let's understand some life wrecks happen because of our foolishness. Some life wrecks happen because for our development. Some life wrecks happen because other people drove us into it. And they will cause you to have trouble in your own ship. So when you look at this, you understand that even though Paul advised them not to go, they determined to go, and based on that, it didn't work. And because it didn't work, we find them struggling in a storm. Now, what happens when we get in these storms when we encounter these things? Well, if you go back up, look at verse number 16. Running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by. Would you say much work? In a storm, labor increases. When you're outside of the will of God, you find yourself working hard and getting nowhere. You find yourself sweating a lot and not producing anything. Because you're trying to make your life work, but you're in the wrong place. You have entered into a place of wreck, of shipwreck, of life wreck. You pray and ask the Lord to get you out, but he didn't put you in. Therefore, you're trying to work your way out. Here's what people do. They work overtime trying to prove that they are in the right place. Some people make right decisions. Other people try to make their decisions be right. And whenever you try to make your decisions be right, you end up increasing in labor. You end up working. You end up doing more than you should have to do and seeing no, no, no positive result. You end up pushing and pushing and working and working because you're working outside of God's will. If they had never sailed according to the prophetic word, they would not have had increased labor. If they'd waited on the prophetic word to say, today is safe to sail, they would have landed on the other side with the same amount of cargo that they set out with, save that which they needed to work with on the ship. But because they were wrong, they ended up having to work harder to try to prove that they were right. I've seen people do that over my life. I'm sure you have. And I've had times in my life when I've done that outside of the will of God. But I got to prove that this was the will of God. This is exactly what God wanted me to do. This is exactly where God wanted me to be. And I end up pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And you push yourself into exhaustion. Here's what Jesus said, that my yoke is easy, that my burden is light. Listen, here's what the Bible said. The blessings of the Lord come without sorrow. Whenever you enter into sorrow and strain, that's an indicator that you're outside of the will of God. That's verse 16. Look right above it at verse 15. You'll see something else that we read. Verse 15 says, and when the ship was caught and could not bear up to the wind, we let her drive. You know what that means? Their dreams of sailing were dissolved. Not only were they, were they working hard in their labor, but what they had envisioned for that voyage, they could not accomplish. They had to let the wind carry them wherever it was going to carry them. Whenever you're outside of God's will, whenever you find yourself in a life wreck, 
you're still trying to dream to make your dreams come true, but you end up just going wherever the ship goes. You've got your map, you've got your mindset, you've got your GPS, you know where you want to be, but the wind is pushing that ship. And it's going wherever that ship goes. You want to do better. You want to change direction. You want to change course. But day after day, week after week, you're recognizing this is not working. This is not where I want to be. This is not what I envision. This is not the life that I want for me. This is not what I've been looking for. This is not what I believe God showed me that my life was going to be. And I'm just drifting and drifting and drifting and drifting and drifting. Still breathing but drifting. Still eating but drifting. Still laughing but drifting. Still having friends but drifting. Still making some money but drifting. And you know that you're not on the right course and so your dreams dissolve your labor increases but then watch this look at verse number look at verse number 18 through 21 that we read verse 18 said and we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest the next day they lighted the ship the third day we cast out our own hands the tackling of the ship and when neither sun nor stars and appeared in many days and no small tempest lay on us all hope that we should be saved was taken away. Somebody has lost hope. All hope. All hope that I'll ever get any better. All hope that my life will improve. All hope that I'll ever get on course. All hope is gone. I've gotten too old now. I'm too old to work this out. All hope is gone. When I was in my 20s and my 30s, I had optimism, but I seem, it seems like I've wasted too many years. All hope is gone. I'm just going to have to tough this out. I'm going to just have to ride this out. I'm going to have to let the wind take my boat wherever it's going to take me, verse 21. But after a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and says, Sirs, you should have listened to me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. Can you say and loss? Because not only do dreams dissolve and not only does labor increases, but then resources are lost. Here's what I believe. Where there is vision, there is provision. If God has given me a vision, he's also included the provision with the vision. I don't believe that God will give you a vision and then there's no provision to do it. If God says do something, he's going to bring the resources to you. But when you get off course, you lose the resources. They're lost. You end up using valuable resources trying to make a decision right that was never right for you. And whatever God did give you to work with, you're going to use that up trying to prove that you were right. Trying to prove that you were in the will of God. They had resources, but they ended up losing their resources because they were trying to make a decision right that wasn't right from the beginning you need to stop and look back we all need to turn the pages back where did I turn in the wrong direction what decision did I make that I never should have made why was I so headstrong why didn't I listen to my mother why didn't I listen to my pastor why didn't I listen to the prophet why when I read the bible did I ignore that and how did I set out on this course and now that I've set out on this course my dreams have dissolved now that I've set out on this course I'm exhausted from I'm trying to work out something that can't work out. Now that I've set out on this course, my resources are wasted. And look again at verse 20. And you see what it says? It says, and when neither sun nor moon nor stars appeared in many days, 
No small tempest lay on us. All hope was lost. Our sense of direction disappears. So look at what we've got. We've got dissolved dreams. Can you say dissolved dreams? We've got increased labor. Can you say increased labor? We've got wasted resources. Can you say wasted resources? And now we've got a loss of direction. What am I doing in my life? What is this? And where is the victory? Where is the victory? Now, we have a word that helps us to understand how things can get better for us. I want you to look at verse number 23. And let's look at the results of these storms in verse 23. For there stood by me. Now look at verse 22 actually. And now Paul is speaking. I exhort you to be of good cheer. Be of good cheer in a storm. Be of good cheer on the wrong course. Be of good cheer even though I was disobedient. Be of good cheer even though I did not do what I was advised to do. He said now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you of the ship. Look at verse 23. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, you must be brought before Caesar. What happens? Even when we get off course, check this out. Even when we, even when we sail when we should not have sailed, even when we let our our circumstance determine our voyage or our launch. The thing about God is you have to understand that God will still step in even when it was not his plan. Now here's where the love of God really comes through for me. That it is enough for God to tell us what to do. If we disobey, then you would expect him to never deal with us again. But here's where the love of God comes in. Even when I'm disobedient, even when I have stepped away from his plan, he comes after me. The Bible said an angel of the Lord appeared unto Paul. Listen, why is an angel out there in that storm? This ship is just drifting over the sea. They've thrown off cargo to keep from drowning. They've gone into exhaust mode. They're just laying around on the deck with no energy. They haven't eaten in days and days and days. And at that moment, the angel appears. That's what you can appreciate about God. He is a God of mercy and forgiveness. He is a God that sees us drifting in life, but he won't let us keep on drifting. Even though we didn't listen the first time, he will come back a second time. I wish I had a witness. Now, he only comes back the second time after we've been impacted by the storm. So it is our desperation that causes divine manifestation. There are times when I don't know where the next money is going to come from. I don't know what's going on in the midst of my life. But it's at such a time that I can expect a visitation from God. The angel comes. I say the angel comes. Now this is interesting. When when do angels come? When you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, you see them coming to bring messages in the very beginning of the New Testament. They bring messages to Mary. They bring a message to Joseph. You see them bring messages concerning the birth of John the Baptist. You see them bringing messages. You see them protecting different people in the scripture. You even see them guarding the empty tomb. When do the angels come? When we need them to come. Let me try that again. Because you missed it. When do the angels come? When we need them to come. 
We're protected by angels. The Bible teaches that. The Bible says they make an encampment around our bedside. Why don't I know it? Because you don't need to know that. Why don't I see them? Because you don't need to see them. Well, when do I see them? Only when you need to see them. You don't really know, church, how many visitations from angels you've had. You don't really know. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, in the worship, the women should wear their heads covered because of the angels. You know what he's teaching? That angels stop by worship services from time to time. Then the unknown writer of Hebrews picks that up in Hebrews 13 and 2. He said, be not forgetful to entertain strangers in your worship, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. There have been times when angels have just stopped by on Sunday morning or come through on Tuesday night, but you wouldn't have known who they were. I don't have a witness. There have been times you've been stranded on side the road, and it was an angel that helped you get gas or helped you change a tire, but because they rolled up in an automobile, you wouldn't know that. There have been times when you've been in desperate situations, maybe lost, didn't know where to go, didn't know where you were, and a stranger showed up, and they had a positive attitude they could have taken advantage of you but they didn't you thought it was some local person that lived in the neighborhood little did you know the angels come when they need to come i don't have any help here i know this is a little spooky a little mysterious i know you like to think about touched by an angel in other shows this is not hollywood this is the word of god Paul said, an angel appeared unto me. Who is Paul greater than you and I? He is a servant of God. If an angel appeared to him, angels have appeared unto us. If an angel came to him, angels would come to us. Here's what the word said. Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion. And the Bible said, and there appeared unto him an angel strengthening him. Peter, James, and John were down the hill asleep in a camp. But Jesus, he'd ask them, pray with me while I go there and pray. They refused. They went to sleep. He needed strength in his prayer. An angel had to come and strengthen his prayer. You just don't know when you've been in trouble. And, you, and somebody gave you a key. I wish I had a witness. I have a dear friend that got picked up on a false prison charge. He just left my church, had just been there for four nights, taught one of the greatest meetings that we've ever had at that particular church. And as soon as he got home, an old arrest record that should have been done away with because it was a false charge reappeared, resurfaced. They picked him up and put him in prison because they did not have all the records. How many know that the government is not perfect? How many know that the government is as far from perfect as you can be from perfect? How many know that whether it's local government, state government, or federal government, they don't have all the records, they don't have them right? How many have ever got a letter you never should have gotten, even from the Internal Revenue? They didn't have it right because government rarely gets stuff right. And they picked up this preacher and they put him in prison. And they kept him in prison for four months. We met with attorneys and different people and nobody could do anything about it. Finally, one day, miraculously, they called him down to the warden's office and they said, you can go. I asked him when he got out, I brought him to preach for us again. And I asked him in my office, how did you get out? 
because we tried everything we could. He said, I was in my cell one night. He said, I knew I wasn't guilty. I was in my cell one night. He said, what I would always do when I'd go to bed at night, I would open my Bible to a certain scripture and lay it at the foot of my bed so that the other inmates wouldn't bother me. And the inmates would see my Bible laying at the foot of my bed and they begin to trust me and they begin to ask me for prayer and they begin to ask me to read the Bible to them. And in the four months that he was in prison, he organized the church in prison. He had people singing in the choir in prison. He had men serving as deacons in prison. I said, you got to know where you are no matter where you are. You got to know who you are no matter where you are. You got to know whose you are no matter where you are. He carried ministry with him into the prison. And while in the prison, listen, he said, every night I'd lay my Bible at the foot of my bed. He said, and one night I was sitting at the foot of my bed thinking about the circumstance. I knew you all were working to get me out and nothing was working he said but while I was in that prison cell an angel appeared in my cell and the angel told me write a letter told me who to write the letter to and told me what to say in the letter he said and I wrote that letter and put it in the mail and seven days later they called me down to the office and they said you're free to go they didn't have to process it out. No, you're not hearing what I'm saying. They say you're free to go. When do angels come? When you need them to come. Angels are not your errand runners. Angels are not your children. Angels are not your pets. Angels are the servants of God. They do the word of God for the children of God. When I go to funerals, I don't like for people to reduce saints to angels. Oh, they've gone now to heaven. They died in the Lord. They're just one of God's little angels now. That is a demotion to a child of God. Angels, angels are less than we are. The Bible says we will judge the angels as saints. The Bible also says that even mankind in his saved state is superior to angels because now we are the sons of God. Angels are not sons, they're servants. Jesus said, I don't call you slaves. I call you friends. I don't have a witness here. Understand that people don't become angels when they die. Angels serve us. And in the judgment, we will sit in judgment of the angels. And so the Bible teaches that an angel appeared unto Paul. Can you say an angel appeared unto him? Now I want to show you as we close this, not only the angels appeared unto him, but here's the thing about God. When, where God does not rule, he overrules. Now, growing up in church, they had another term for it. They call it super rule. You know, they would pray those old prayers and they would say, God, uh, we know that you don't, you don't just rule, you super rule. Where God does not rule in my life, there are times he has to overrule because I made such a mess because my life is so wrecked. What he will do is he will step in and overrule. You see, God has a plan for us. And according to this word that Paul gave to them in verse 23, he said, There stood by me an angel of the Lord that night, uh, whose I am, whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, you must be brought. Can you say you must be brought? Can you say you must be brought? Can you say I must be brought? I don't hear you. Can you say I must be brought into God's will for my life? Now listen, a lot of stuff gets in the way of that. 
You get out of his will, number one. Number two, you do what you want to do. Number three, you do it the way you want to do it. And you say, well, God can never save me, help me now. But here's what happens. Where God wants you to be, he's going to get you there even if you fight and kicking and screaming. That's what people don't understand about the will of God. Where God wants me to be, he's going to get me there even if he doesn't have my good cooperation. Even if he has to bring me there bruised and scarred from all the messes that I made, he's still going to get me to Rome. Paul, you're going to see Caesar. Why? Because if Paul didn't see Caesar, we wouldn't have the New Testament. Who wrote 14 books in the New Testament? Paul. There's only 27 books there. Paul wrote, you know where he wrote most of them from? From his prison cell in Rome. If, if he had not been incarcerated in Rome, we wouldn't have the Bible to work with. Who wrote the theology for the Christian church? Paul. Who wrote the order for the Christian church? Paul. Who taught us about worship in the Christian church? Paul. If Paul had not gone to Rome, we wouldn't have what we've got now. But Paul was off course. Paul was not where God wanted him to be. But when God wants you to get somewhere, he's going to come and find you. He's going to work it out no matter what he's got to do. And he's going to get you where he needs you to be if he's using you as a team player. But I don't have a witness here. Here's what I take confidence in knowing. And I can only thank God for this. No matter how many times I messed up, he found me. No matter how many times I got confused about my calling, he cleared it up. But you know how he cleared it up? He let the ship run until it ran out. And then he came to me and he said, all right, now, here's where I want you to be. And then he let me. Now, here's what I really love about him, and I'm done. He lets me use my embarrassment and humiliation for his glory. You see, you say, well, I'm ashamed. I don't want people to know that I've done this, that, and the other. I don't want people to know what a mess I made. No, he's going to use your mess up to be a bless up to somebody else. He's going to use where you went wrong. You know what your real testimony is? Not in what you've done right, but what you did wrong. And God loved you anyway. And God saved you anyway. And God used you anyway. And God lifted you anyway. And God, 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 God put you where he wanted you to be. There's only one person in history that was squarely in God's will at all time, and that's Jesus Christ. Other than that, everybody else messed up, but he used them anyway. Everybody else got into their own thing, but he brought them back to his thing. Everybody else (laughs) determined that they would run their life their own way. He said, go ahead. I'll catch up with you later. And in a time of repentance, I wish I could get somebody to understand that God's will is done regardless who stands against him. They said to Paul, we're going to take you where we want to go. We're going the way we want to go. Paul said, no, we don't need to sail. They said to Paul, but we're going to sail. But look at what happens. Verse number 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Somebody say, I believe God. Oh, somebody say, I believe God. Verse number 27 said there were 14 nights. When 14 nights would come, we were driven up and driven in. Look at all that's going on as you go down. Verse 28, that sounded and founded 20 phantoms. 
When they were, had gone a little further, they sounded again and found 15 phantoms. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast forth anchors in the stern and they wished for the day. Verse number 30, and the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship. And when they had let down the boat into the sea under the color as they would have cast anchors out of the foreship. Paul said to the turn and the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Somebody says, stay on board. Don't jump off. Don't jump off. Stay on board. It may seem dangerous, but stay on board. Verse 32 said, then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall. Why are they doing that? Because that boat that they had, that boat that they had, something had to happen to it in order for them to make it onto land. Something had to happen. It said they let the boat fall. Go down to verse number 35. And they said when they had thus spoken, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer and they all took some meat. Everybody said they were of good cheer. And they all ate. What's going on? What's going on? What's really going on is the fact that they're recognizing that the move of God is happening to preserve their life, to save their life. He said everybody will live. You wouldn't listen to me then, but listen to me now. We're in a mess, but he said, but everybody's going to live. Nobody's going to die, but we've got to give God thanks now. We've got to praise God now. We've got to understand that God has come to save us, to rescue us, to deliver us right now. And that's what I said to you about your life. Whatever's gone wrong, give him praise and he'll get you to the shore safely. Come on, stand up and glorify the Lord.